money on plant protection supplies. Now at Menards. Defend your garden with Triazicide Insect Killer. Its fast-acting formula protects lawns, vegetables, and many other plants. It kills more than 260 insects by contact, above and below ground. Choose from ready-to-spray, concentrate, or granular. Save big money on Triazicide Insect Killer at Menards. And check out our weekly flyer on Menards.com for all the great deals happening now. Save big money at Menards. Good morning, Richard. Good morning, Bob. It is a good morning, isn't it? Yes, it is a beautiful morning out there. It was 45 degrees at my house this morning, so uh, I I thought I was through with jackets, but that turned out not to be the case. Yeah, it caught me off guard this morning. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess those of us in the plant business, we have to be watching this a little bit more carefully than most everybody else. That's right. Well, I had a question for you. I've, I've called you, I think, two times on my avocado tree, and um, I, I know about, uh, or at least I think I do, about proper watering through listening to you. Right. And um, so I wanted to talk to you about the, the leaves um, t- turning brown still, because I figured I would have remediated that already. but. Um, I've read that there's a salt buildup or sodium buildup, and you have to flush it out and pot it. Uh, avocado tree plants. Um, so not, is there any, not in any not in San that? Antonio. Or okay. where where are you located, Richard? Over here in Comal County. Yeah, if you were in Corpus Christi, that would be accurate. But uh, you're not going to have any salt built up in uh, you know in our part of the world. Um, you know, the thing that I always emphasize to people is the way a plant looks today is a reflection of the care that it got six weeks ago. Um, When we figure out we're doing something wrong, we change it immediately. Uh, The plant usually looks worse before it looks better, but it it takes a full six weeks before you will really know if any changes that you have made are what are benefiting the plants. Now, you can speed it up a little bit with a little Super Thrive, a little Garrett Juice, something like that, but uh, uh, salt buildup, as long as you're staying away from the synthetic fertilizers like miracle Grow and that stuff, uh, you will not have a salt buildup problem with uh, here in, in Comal County or Kendall County or Bear County. Yeah, definitely don't do the miracle Grow. <laughs> but uh, <so> do you think <laughs> I figured uh, that. It, the browning of the leaves, um, I know some symptoms, different symptoms, but you think some of it could have been cold-related? Um, if it got, I think we got a cold snap that came pretty quickly around that time, so I didn't know if that could be there. It, 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 it definitely can be, and as much as a cold, it's a cold wind. Uh, I know our, we've got a couple of avocados planted in the parking lot here at the nursery, and, man, when that when that wind hits, even though it's still well above freezing, Man, those poor little leaves, they just start turn shriveling on the edges and turning brown. So I let's just say it was weather-related. I'm not sure whether it was cold or whether it was wind, but uh, I think it's very definitely weather-related. All righty. And quick question about my strawberries, if you don't mind. Yes, yes sir. All right, so it's uh, already almost April. Is this about the time? I have a lot of uh, just green strawberries uh, starting uh-huh. to take off now. Uh, they've been in the ground since last uh, fall. So is right. this around the time they start thriving? Because I, I thought this was a little late for them. Well, you watch the weather. Um, you know, again, they they start taking off, but plants are definitely confused this year. When I look at trees around my property, some of them are fully leafed. Some of them haven't even starting been starting to leaf out. Some things that are normally in bloom are just in bud. And yet other things are, you know, are just going crazy, especially the tropical things. So you should 
be seeing little green berries. You should be seeing lots of white flowers in the very near future if you're not already. But remember that development of the berries, ripening the berries relies on heat and sunshine. And uh, we haven't had a great abundance of, uh, or consistent had uh, consistently had an abundance of those things but it warms up but then it cools down it warms up but then it cools down and so uh, i think that the strawberries are behaving the way that i would expect them to behave i never use the word normal talking about texas weather and things like that but uh, as long as your plants look healthy as long as you're seeing buds and starting to see blooms i would not be concerned all righty so just fertilize and do do the thing as normal and and probably okay. probably keep some uh, Slogo Plus or something out because pill bugs do love strawberries, and uh, they will just eat the heck out of the fruit before you get to it. So either make some pill bug traps or keep uh, you know some Slogo Plus out to keep them under control. Sounds like a plan. Thanks for your time today. Always a pleasure, Richard. Thank you for the call today. And next up will be Clint. Good morning, Clint. Good morning. I was wondering if I can get your... Um your compost tea fertilizer recipe from you um well fertilizer and compost tea are two totally different things yeah um, no, i'm still asleep i'm just looking for the compost tea uh recipe. okay we make compost tea um using you know we start of course with just some good compost uh, our machine we we Brew the compost, or we actually separate the microbes from the compost uh, for an hour or two. We do this by having an airline that goes into the bag of compost. After a couple of hours, we take the compost out, and then we concentrate on brewing the tea, so to speak. We add a little bit of seaweed. We add a little bit of liquid fish. We add some bran, both oat bran and wheat bran, and the company that we... Okay, I'm afraid Clint dropped off. Clint, I hope you're still hearing us on the on the uh, radio. But uh, the company that sold us our compost tea maker has a proprietary blend of minerals and things that we add a, a little scoop of that, and I have no idea what all is in there. But uh, then we brew up for about 24 hours before we start using it, and we try to have it all used up within 48 uh, hours or so, and. Hopefully that covers the questions that you have. Remember that it's important to do your brewing at air temperature because uh, different temperatures breed different microbes. We have psychrophilic, mesophilic, and thermophilic microbes, which respectively uh, are active at very low temperatures, mid-range temperatures, and very high temperatures. So you don't want to be making your tea in a cold environment and putting it out in a hot, and by the same token, you don't want to make your tea in a hot room and then put it out on a cold day. So your brewing should be done at ambient temperature and i hope that gets your questions answered you know you can call back if uh, we didn't cover everything you needed to know and uh i guess from there we'll move on to diane uh, good morning diane good morning bob good morning how are you doing today you know i'm sitting here looking out the back window uh one of our employees is walking the puppy dogs uh the sun's coming up it's a beautiful day it is okay so i'll get to it I have this crazy ground cover that takes over an area of my yard in the fall. I mean, it lives through the winter. It goes to seed early spring, late winter, and I ah, it's getting crazy out of control. So I'm wondering what preemptive strike I can do, like 
in the when I first start noticing it, mm-hmm. it's like it's like magic. It just overnight, boom, it's everywhere. It's the little green leaves, little tiny white flowers. Um, not sure about the tiny white flowers. I know it has thousands and thousands of seeds because I can't walk okay. through the yard without getting them all in my shoes. But it is little green leaves that are kind of pointy. And they're, um, are the leaves fairly soft and squishy, or are they really, really rough? Um, it's, I would say softer than rough. It's not the, it's not the Velcro weed. Okay, and it's not uh, Straggler Daisy. It's not the and one that gets all the little yellow flowers. Daisy. And if you look okay. at your phone, you might see what it is. I, I've already replied to you on that, as a matter oh, of fact. Okay. But okay. I don't I don't know the name of that weed, Diane. We call it pansy weed because the first our first experience with it, it came in with some pots of pansies out of Denver, and so we just call it pansy weed. And um, the uh, preemptively, once your grass is brown in the fall, get out and hit it with the vinegar and orange oil. Probably do it again two, three weeks later before it really gets started because, I mean, in minutes it is shriveling. I sprayed a bunch of it uh, in, you know, my new deck that I built, uh, my flagstone deck that I built in front of the greenhouse. And this stuff can go from being invisible to being six inches long overnight. Yeah. And uh, But the vinegar and orange hole will knock it out quickly. If you wait until your grass is brown, you will destroy it along with the dandelions and virtually everything else is trying to come up Um uh, you know, all at the same time. Now, this stuff is going to die out as soon as the weather gets, uh, you know, really hot. But boy, it's, it's you, you describe it perfectly. It uh, it it doesn't have the the burrs, doesn't have the Velcro effect of bed straw, but man, it just is is rampant. That and the other thing I'm dealing with, I won't say fighting, but in my yard, I I actually took off a little early Friday and spent about three hours mowing. Uh, is the uh, so-called burr clover. That was an interesting experience. I woke up in the middle of the night a little congested and, you know, feeling a little bit of a scratchy throat. And I thought, oh, shoot, I hope I'm not coming down with the with the COVID. And then I thought, oh, no, I mowed for three hours this afternoon. I've got plenty of allergies and things like that. And sure enough, next morning, everything was fine. But, no, this little weed that you're facing, it will be gone with the heat. Um, since your grass is greened up by now, it's just a matter of, you know, pull it, or if you have areas where you have no grass and want to spray your vinegar and orange oil, go for it. But um, it's it's obnoxious, but it's really kind of harmless and just a nuisance. I think you should call it pansy weed because it's a pain. Um, <laughs> anyway, I have a sweet potato question. So I'm putting out three uh, fabric pots, uh, two by threes. Okay. Um, and and so I'm going to dedicate one to sweet potatoes because I thought like that would make more sense than trying to dig up sweet potatoes and not disrupt a tomato plant. So okay, I don't I don't have um, perlite, and I tried perlite once, and I didn't. It just didn't work well for me. If I put the potato, do I? Can I cut the eye out and put the toothpicks in it and stick that in water, or do I have to put the whole sweet potato in a it's jar always, of water? It's always worked for me. The whole sweet potato needs to grow in the jar of water. Either get a big jar or a small sweet potato, and it will start putting out roots from the eyes down on the bottom, and it will start making little vines from the you know eyes on the top. And some people, if they inherited their grandmother's green thumb, are able to just, you know, put 
uh, the whole little slip, you know, when the vine starts coming out, you take a knife and excise, you know, cut out a little wedge of sweet potato along with the vine coming out of the top of it. And they are able to just put that in the ground. It takes roots and grows and everything goes well. I, that is what I have always taken you know the little chunk of the little wedge of sweet potato along with the vine that is what i have put in perlite rooted and then transplanted that into the garden and i've been an absolute 100 percent success at doing that so um i'm not sure how you tried the perlite and exactly what you you know what you attempted to start but i let the little vine get about two three inches long and then i just take a you know, a knife or something really sharp and just make my little narrow V-shaped wedge. I've got a little wedge that's maybe three-quarters of an inch long with a little vine growing up out of the top of it. I root that, and then three or four weeks later, I plant that, and voila, when hot weather comes, i got lots of sweet potatoes. So one potato, I'm going to get multiple plants, and how many would do you think that size of a container, the two-by-three, would support? Uh, maximum of three, minimum of one, but maximum of three. And should I mulch those containers? Um, I don't think it's all that critical. Uh, probably when July, August gets here, I would mulch those. But starting out, no, sweet potatoes are heat loving, and um, uh, we don't we don't need to worry about uh, cooling the soil or anything else until we start getting into that July typical July weather. So then the other containers that are going to have, like, cucumbers, tomatoes, squash, I should mulch those once I get the plants in. I would, but I don't think it's as critical because here's the deal. Um, when you're growing in one of those raised, one of those fabric beds, um, you've got constant evaporation occurring off the side of the bed, unlike okay. in the ground. In the ground, you've got any evaporations coming directly off the surface, but uh, not down where the roots are. But when you're growing in a fabric bed, we've got the old principle of evaporative cooling going on. And the soil in, if you were to take, you know, get a soil thermometer, you would find that if the soil is adequately moist, it's probably going to be 10 degrees cooler than ambient temperature because of the evaporative cooling. Same thing that happens with an old sphagnum moss hanging basket, whereas if you were in a solid pot, um, you know, the, the temperature would be several degrees above ambient temperature, and even in the ground, it would probably be two or three degrees above ambient temperature. So you've created a really special and a very good growing environment when you're using the fabric containers. Does that make sense? Yes, no, it does. So then you remember, <clears throat> excuse me, those pellets that kind of were hydrophilic that you would put them in with your soil and they would help hold moisture? They were. It's called soil moist granules. They still make them and they actually inoculate them with mycorrhizal fungi these days. So would that be a good, instead of mulch, use that in, mixed in with the soil to help? I, said, well, I don't want to make work for myself and I don't want to hurt the plants. So. Well, here's here's my problem with the soil moist in an outside condition like that is that the soil moist is a wonderful thing in the warm summer months, and it keeps things too wet in the winter months. So if you're going to be using these same fabric beds to grow lettuce or pansies or kind of things we grow in the midwinter, that soil moist, even though it slowly breaks down, initially it's going to keep things too wet. So... You know, I I love it in the Christmas tree stand. I love it, you know, on some 
house plants that you just can't, you know, uh, some of your succulents and things, you want them to get dry, but you travel and you can't water them as often as you need to. They're places that it has a very good use, but in a bed that is used both winter and summer, it can create some problems. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Bob, and thanks to you and Roberta for keeping the world a little more sane by having a beautiful place open. I, 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 don't, uh, I don't know if, uh, if we're doing much to make it more sane, but I, I will tell you something funny that I heard, and Roberta will criticize me because you probably heard me repeat it too many times already. But uh, you, remember, you remember the old State Farm thing, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there? Uh-huh. We're changing that slightly to like a good neighbor, stay over there. <laughs> that, that's our reminder for social distancing so you get out and have a good sunday and i'll look forward to our next visit thank you bob you too bye-bye thank you diane <laughs> goodbye all right back to gardening on an absolutely gorgeous sunday morning out there and uh so good to be here so be good to be talking to you eric glenn thomas and jenny are our next callers and eric's up first good morning eric Good morning, Bob. I'll tell you, it is a beautiful morning here in Winedale, and I'm watching the uh, the uh, paintbrushes, and then there's this, this flock. This time of morning, every morning, there's a flock of about 70 or 80 cedar wax wings that go crazy for about 10 minutes. <laughs> Just going wild, and then they disappear for the day. Yep, yep. They're headed out to find the berries on the yopons or the berries on uh, any number of different things. So, yeah, nature, you know, nature's just kind of shrugging its shoulders and looking at us and saying, what are you humans doing? And it's just going on and doing its thing like it does, and it's uh, reassuring in a way. It is, it is. And it's funny that you mentioned that they're going to the yopon. I've got this little yopon tree. I'll call it a tree because I've, I've trimmed it up from the shrubby bush that it was into a tree. And all 70 or 80 of them will, will land in that thing and flap, and the, and the whole tree, which is only about five feet tall, starts uh-huh. wobbling because of the, that's, the birds. It's the funniest thing. That's but, so funny. We've got one that's a little bit bigger, and it just a solid mass of red berries one minute, and then that flock descends upon it. And when they fly off 15 minutes later, there's hardly a berry on it. So I think that's what we would definitely call a feeding frenzy. Boy, no kidding. That is, and it's just wonderful to be able to, to see that. Well, a quick, couple quick questions for you. I know I asked you this about a year ago, but our, our, grape tr- our grapefruit tree is back in full bloom and just smells absolutely heavenly. But uh-huh. I've noticed that leaves are disappearing from it. And I know last year when I asked you this question, you, you thought when, uh, when all the, the fruit were starting to, to drop off that it was probably because of the the late uh, cold snap that we had, uh-huh. um, we see the the fruit developing again right now. But along the stems where the fruit is, the leaves are just disappearing. And I thought there weren't many pests for for um, citrus trees. I mean, is there a worm or something that's or an ant? Are, I, I don't see harvester. Are there leaves? Like, are the leaves on the ground? Have the leaves dropped off? Or are the leaves being eaten? No, they're just being eaten. There's nothing on the ground. Okay. Two two possibilities. One is uh, cutter ants, which are active mainly at night, leaf-cutting ants. You can stop those guys by wrapping some plastic wrap or aluminum foil around the trunk of the tree and 
putting a good band of tanglefoot around it. The cut ants cannot walk across that if you make, you know, a band that's a couple of inches wide. And they, unfortunately, are fairly common on citrus. The second thing is this little caterpillar that looks like bird poop. We call it bird-dropping caterpillar, and it's actually the larval state of the giant swallowtail. But it is specific to a handful of plants, uh, citrus being one of them. And uh, they're such, you know, such a beautiful butterfly. We generally don't worry about controlling them. But if they get really bad, then probably on at least part of the tree, if you want to spray a little BT on there, BT with a little bit of molasses in it, it will sure stop and take care of them. But where large numbers are going, I tend to... uh, I tend to suspect the cut ants. Now, if there are leaves on the ground, I'd tell you it's just like the live oak tree. Citrus drops a lot of foliage this time of year as it's putting on its new foliage. But if that new foliage is being eaten, um, it's my bet that it's either a caterpillar or cut ants. I go out at night with the flashlight and determine who the culprit is and take the appropriate measure, so to speak. Okay, okay. That's that's a great suggestion. I'll, I'll in that. Okay, and then the next citrus question is, when is the, the correct time to, to graft citrus? I lost a couple citrus in, over the last couple years, but I've got a couple that are real strong that I like to graft them on. And then part B of that question is, what type of graft is the best type of graft for citrus? You know, I think uh, the old uh, kind of a, um, oh, I'm trying to remember the name, uh, where you, it's like you, you're um, scion, you, I'm sorry, your your rootstock, you make just kind of a pointed, you slice up each side with your grafting knife, your scion that you're going to put on there, you basically split it right down the middle of the wood and then just, in effect, put it on top, remembering that the cambium layer uh, in, the, in the rootstock and the cambium layer in the scion uh, need to be in contact with each other. You know... I, I, I've i never done citrus graphing. I've done plenty of peach and plum and things like that back in my old college days. But um, I would suspect that early spring is going to be the best time. Now, with uh, other fruit trees, we always want the wood to be delayed. And, um, you know, we harvest the wood in December or so, keep it in cold storage until uh, the sap starts to rise in the spring and then do our grafting at that time. I suspect that citrus is going to be early spring, but I would go online or talk to somebody smarter than me about citrus grafting because it's one form of grafting that I have not done, and I'm not going to pretend to be an authority on the subject. But that'll, it's called a whip graft now that I think about it, and uh, that is uh, you know, what I would do. Now, if, you've got, if your uh, cyan is a very different size from your rootstock, then I'd probably do a cleft graft. But the old whip graft is uh, is what I would suggest would be best. And then what do you wrap around them? I mean, I know for some of the things you wrap sphagnum moss and then put put tin no. foil or plastic. They actually they actually make a tape they call grafting tape, uh, and basically it's just kind of uh, I think you could probably use masking tape. You don't want anything as durable as you know gorilla tape or duct tape or things like that. But uh, basically. Um, you know, and they make a, a special wax with a relatively low melting point that you can kind of smear over to keep from dehydrating. But um, you know, in in the best of all worlds, get some grafting tape. Uh, other than that, I'd probably just use masking tape or you know, painter's uh, uh, masking tape. Okay, okay. And then the last question goes back to the lady who was talking about the weird weed. Um, 
if if you miss the the brown opportunity with the vinegar and oil, what what do we do for dollar weed and broadleaf right now? Besides mow, and I mow mow mow, but they and they keep the stems keep getting thicker, so when they come up, they're even bigger. Well, dollar weed, you just got to stop watering as much. Dollar weed uh, cannot survive. It's uh, its botanical name is hydrocotyl, which means water leaf. And, hydro, and uh, dollar weed needs lots and lots and lots of water. If you'll simply reduce your watering and pray that it doesn't rain too much, dollar weed will go away on its own. Dandelions and things, if you want to go around and spot treat, uh, which takes a long time with your vinegar and orange oil, that's your only option. You're being punished for not having done it back when you should have. Yeah. Yeah, some of these I didn't. I mean, they, they look small. I pulled up the ones that I could when that were big in the yep. wintertime, but then they just overnight just got shoulders on them. <laughs> they're, they're <laughs> well, you need your exercise, so keep mowing. Yeah, I appreciate it, Bob. You have a blessed day. Thank you. <laughs> Same thing I do, Eric. Thank you. All right, let's get back to gardening and back to the phone lines. It's going to be Glenn and Thomas and Jenny and uh, Beverly. So let's say good morning, Glenn. Bob, good morning. Good morning, sir. Um, I've got a lettuce question and then a couple of Meyer lemon questions. Um, All right. Can you recommend, can you recommend a, a warm season lettuce? I don't know of a good warm season lettuce. Um, if you want to grow a warm season green, chard is going to be the one that does best for you. Um, okay. Warm season lettuce, uh, gosh, I guess you could do almost any of them. But a hot season lettuce, the plants may grow, but they're going to be bitter. So uh, I'm afraid you're going to have to rely on California to have good fresh lettuce in, in a Texas summer. Yeah, but now, if you, if you like if you like chard, I've had chard live for up to three years in my garden, and it continues to produce well throughout the hot season. It's a little stronger flavored, and I do like it better cooked than I like it fresh at this time of year. But uh, for a leafy green, once the heat arrives, I think chard's the best thing you can be growing. Okay, and I think I heard you in the last couple of weeks say something about Malabar spinach. Oh yeah, Malabar spinach is uh, sometimes called New Zealand spinach. It's it's not a spinach at all, but a lot of people think it tastes like spinach. But yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. It's a wonderful leafy. It's a vine rather than you know a, a low growing plant like uh, ordinary leaf spinach is. But Malabar spinach will do fantastically well all the way up until freezing weather. Oh okay, all right. Is that something that you have on hand? We generally have it on hand. I did not walk out back before I went on the air this morning, so you might uh, call after after 10 and uh, be sure we have it. We have been well-stocked on it all fall so uh, and, and into the spring, so I'm pretty sure we have it. It also grows pretty easily from seed if you're not in a big hurry. Seed sprouts quickly and grows quickly, so uh, you can plant it either way. Okay. All right. Very good. About uh, about the Myers lemons, I've got two. One of them, I believe, is three years old. The other one is is two. They're both they're both doing well. The younger one, uh, I wish I had bought a uh, you know a lower cut, bushier form of it. It's already right. about six or so feet tall. Is uh-huh. there? It, you know, I put them in the greenhouse over the winter. I've got them outside now. But is there a way? It's got some of the smaller shoots coming coming off mm-hmm. down lower is there a way yeah. that i can 
urge that? Just be certain that it gets good light all the way to the base. And, of course, we remember those shoots have to be above the graph point in all cases. But a plant in in its own sensory fashion, we're not going to turn them into thinking creatures, but in its own sensory fashion, it knows how to put on leaves where the light is. And a lot of people, you know, they'll they'll have a plant where they, and this is lemons and lots of other things, they let the top get really, really thick and bushy. Consequently, there's no light gets to the base, so nothing ever develops down there. But if you are able to put this plant out in an area where, Either the rising sun in the morning, or better still, the setting sun in the evening is going to be falling on the lower part of the plant. Those uh, things will develop on their own without any encouragement from you other than proper watering and fertilizing. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And they're both there. I've got them outside now. They're out of the greenhouse. so uh, They're much happier. That, yeah, that sunlight shouldn't, shouldn't be a problem. Anyway, all right, very good. I appreciate the information. You have a good day. Uh, you do the same, Glenn. Always good to hear from you. Next up is Thomas. Uh, good morning, Thomas. Good morning, Bob. Morning, sir. I got a couple of things here I want to talk to you about. Uh, whenever you, you know we plant seeds, I know we're supposed. To, you know, it's good to soak them in uh, garret juice or seaweed, whatever. Yeah, very briefly, but uh, a good you know ten fifteen minute soak is a good idea. Well, what's the difference, like, if you're plant, starting them out in pot, in little four-inch pots, just uh, wet them down real good when, when you plant them? I mean, Well, you know, um, somebody could, uh, you know, drizzle water you over you, uh, and it would be very different than it would be, you know, to submerge you in a hot tub or a, a baptismal vault or whatever vault there or whatever but uh there's just there's just a a soaking well, I up soak, i soak the heck out of them i mean well but for very briefly uh you'll kill seeds if you soak them for too long for me you know 10 minutes is pretty the pretty much the maximum i'm going to soak anything other than something like a mountain laurel seed that's hard as a rock i mean i you know again 10 minutes max pretty much the way that i do things, uh, and I'm thinking, I guess a lot of the main things that I plant from seed are things like, uh, beans, and then I plant squash and cucumbers. With the beans, I'm just gonna put them in the bottom of a cup, uh, soak them for 10 minutes or so, pour the liquid off, dust my inoculant on there. In the case of the squash seed, I'm just gonna soak them for about 10 minutes or more, and then I just take my finger and poke a hole down in the ground, put the squash seed in, and put the Put the dirt over the top of it, so it's it's not a long time soak. It's a brief soak, but it's you might say it's an intense soak. And uh, um, I, I you know, that, but is it detrimental? Like if you're planting a little four inch pots, mm-hmm. is it detrimental to to really soak that with the garden juice mixture? Oh no, you know, no, that's fine. That's just fine too. But uh, um, again. Yeah, you know, it, it, they're getting soaked. I mean, I put them in a saucer so they get soaked all the way up. You know. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, do what works for you. Um, I know that the uh, you know the soaking first just seems to speed up germination, 
And, uh, you know, with your method, there's, there's no doubt they're going to germinate. But I find that with soaking, with a pre-soak, with something like either liquid seaweed or garret juice or liquid seaweed, I'll add a little apple cider vinegar to it, I've got things germinating about two days sooner than I would without doing that. But in the grand scheme of things, maybe two days just doesn't make a whole lot of difference. So do whatever works for you, Thomas. I don't think it's critical one way or the other. Well, okay. And, uh, another thing, uh, <clears throat> when you plant, I plant a lot of chard, and, and uh, when it comes up, I plant it about a half an inch deep. Uh-huh. And they just seem like there's, like there's, they just lay over. There's a part of the of the stem that comes up that's that's, that's skinnier, mm-hmm. so it just kind of flops over. Am I am I not planting them deep enough, or? I think you're not giving them enough light, because there's a hormone in the stems, an auxin in the stems of plants that causes the cells to stretch. That particular compound is broken down by sunlight, and that's why when you have good, strong sunlight, you've got very stocky, very compact little cells in that stem that make for a, you know, very what we would call a very thrifty seedling. If your plants are not getting enough light, then this uh, hormone, this auxin, causes the cells to stretch, which makes for a much, a much weaker plant. So if you're Little chard and other things are not standing up as you know robustly, ro- nah, robustly as you would like. I think you don't have them in bright enough light. And in the case of chard, I don't think there's anything as so much as too much sun. Maybe in the middle of the summer, but I've I'm going to germinate my chard where it's got full all day sun, and I get a much more compact, much stockier little plant. Well, that makes sense. Another thing on uh, sweet potato vine, the ornamental type. Yeah. Okay, mine didn't freeze back. I have them in a big uh-huh. hanging basket. Are they yeah. going to uh, come out all right? Or are they gonna... <laughs> they're they're going to come out beautifully, uh, even though the little tubers are, I don't know whether you could eat them or not, but uh, Sweet Potato Vine makes little potatoes under the ground, you know, just like other uh, sweet potatoes do, and uh, in nature, in its native home, it's a perennial. It's not an annual. And when we have a winter that's mild enough that it doesn't freeze, even if the top freezes, if the soil doesn't freeze, it's just going to grow three times as fast, three times as thick. You may have trouble keeping that hanging basket watered because it's going to grow so abundantly. But uh, you should get absolutely gorgeous plants out of it for a second year. Okay, another another thing not to beat this thing too much, but whenever you soak, if you if I soak the seeds in the garret juice, and then just it, it'd be better just to water them with plain water. Then uh, doesn't the really matter. Soaked. Doesn't really matter. Okay. No sir. Okay, Bob. I usually I usually use a little has to grow or something like that. Well, I, oh, very good. I'm mixing yeah. up with uh, I don't I don't have any. Uh, uh, I use the has to grow, yeah, and uh, seaweed and a little bit of uh, that. Uh, uh, well, just uh, I use rainwater. <laughs> well, Thomas, I think you're I think you're doing just fine. So, always enjoy visiting with you. Uh, yeah, I need to do. A... I've been listening Thank... to you for as long as you've been on the air. Well, I I appreciate it. Mm-hmm. 
All right. Back to gardening. It's going to be Jenny and Beverly and Mike and Kitty. And Jenny is up first. Good morning, Jenny. Good morning, Bob. I'm calling on my son. Okay. Uh, he has... He's just being overtaken with fleas at, in his yard and all, and they're getting on them and getting into the house. Now, he's gotten put out nematodes three times since December. We were uh-huh. there at your place two weeks ago, and he got fresh ones again and put out, and that was the third time. And he said it's, it's almost like it's eating them rather than killing them. Well, and he doesn't you want know, to use pesticides, so. Sure. Uh, you have to address three issues at the same time. You have to address fleas in the yard, you have to address fleas on the pets, and you have to address fleas in the house. Because if you only wipe them out in one place, they will just keep coming back over and over and over. Your veterinarian, of course, can recommend the most appropriate thing. Inside the home, you need to vacuum, vacuum, vacuum. Vacuum the upholstery, vacuum, you know, pull the uh, cushions off the chairs, off the sofa, vacuum all around and... uh, uh, there's a company called Flea Busters out there. I think they may have some products, or your veterinarian may have some suggestions as to things you can use in the house. But unless he's hitting all three areas at the same time, um, you'll never really get them under control. And if you're in an area where you've got lots and lots of rats or mice, uh, where you've got squirrels, where you've got possums, where you've got raccoons, even deer moving through, they will keep bringing them in. Now, the nematodes should live about 180 days in the soil. If they're finding pests to uh, reproduce in, their numbers should stay up. But I find virtually all the time if somebody's just not controlling them, it's that they're not hitting all three areas at once. Well, he discussed it with me, and he told me he was. Uh, and nematodes have always worked for him in the past. Yeah. Uh, he said yesterday he went out into a, an old chicken pen that he had, which he has sprayed over and over again with the nematodes and wet it mm-hmm. down and so forth. And he said he just went to dig up some wild tomato plants that came up in there. And he had, within a minute, he had like, it seemed like a hundred fleas all over him. And well, he's already I, been treating yeah, it. So I, no I, there anymore. Yeah, well, I think he needs yeah, to be I keeping think. that soil a little bit more moist. Uh, that's the other thing. In an area that's disused like that, we have not had enough rain to really keep much moisture in the soil. And the nematodes have to have – the nematode doesn't walk. It swims. And you don't well, have to keep your soil – He did that. He told me that he continues to wet it down to be sure and let you know that because he well, knows that's how they thrive and, and keep moving around is in the yeah. water. There's a difference in wetting it down and thoroughly soaking it. So we're okay. talking water it, water it like you would water the yard, not not just wetting it down, but soaking that okay. soil to where it's really soaked two or three inches deep. Um, okay. Beyond that, about the only other thing I can suggest is putting out in effect a flea trap because fleas are attracted to heat, and you can take almost any kind of container and fill it with soapy water, put a light up above it. The fleas jump toward the the light, wind up in soapy water, and, and they drown. So we will move right on to Beverly. Good morning, Beverly. 
Hey, good morning, good morning. Good morning. Um, this time of year, I'm always wanting a, a redbud. And uh-huh. I've found one out in the pasture that's about four feet tall. I'm wondering if they can be transplanted, and if so, what time of year and how big a root ball? And what area are you located in, Beverly? Well, this one is growing out in the pasture where I'm going. No, no, no. Where, where do you live? Where, where do you live? Where yeah. do you live? Yeah. Where oh, do you I'm live? I'm north of Johnson, uh, north of uh, San Antonio, up in the hill country. Okay, here's here's the deal. If you are in typical hill country soil, uh, you've got a lot of rock and a little bit of soil, so that tree has had to spread its roots way, way, way out. And if you dig right at the base of the tree, you're not even getting very much of the root system. If this pasture has deep soil, then the tree has developed a lot of roots very close to the base of the tree, and therefore it can, you have a much, much better chance of, uh, of transplanting it successfully. It's, let's say we got a root ball that's 18 inches in diameter. If this were on a hillside somewhere, you'd probably get 10% of the roots. Out in deeper soil, you'd probably get 60% of the roots. And so mm-hmm. if this pasture has deep soil, then your chances of transplanting it are pretty good. Um, the best time to transplant would be when the leaves are off in the winter months, when the tree is as close to dormancy as we ever get. So what I always tell people to do is take some, you know, plastic flagging and anything like that that's going to drop all its leaves and be a little harder to identify so that you can definitely, you know, locate it and move it during the deciduous season. Now, a four-foot tree is not a very big tree. Chances are you could do it successfully right now, but January, February would have been better. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'll wait. I, d- I don't want to try to do it now, but uh, just that's good information. Thank you. I'm going to give it a good try. Let me let me tell you one more thing. And, of course, our native Texas redbud is, uh, you know, it is just a beautiful, beautiful tree. If you want the deepest, darkest pink flowers, there are some improved forms, uh, like this variety of Texas redbud that's called Oklahoma. Um, and it has a glossier, shinier leaf that has more of a waxy coat to it, so the foliage stays nicer. So um, I love the native redbuds. I've got them all over my ranch, too. But um, the one that I chose for my yard was Oklahoma simply because it doesn't get the fungus spots on the leaves in the summer, and it is a darker pink flower. So uh, keep that in mind. But, you know, if you want to transplant it, uh, hopefully find, you know, more than one. Just put a little piece of red flagging or something on it uh, in the fall. And then just about any time between the time it drops its leaves, I always tell people between Thanksgiving and Valentine's Day are going to be the very best times to transplant. Okay. All right. Thank you so much. You're always wonderful information. Appreciate it. Well, God bless. Always always here to help you. And thank you so much, Beverly. <laughs> Goodbye. All right. Next up is going to be Mike, and then it'll be Kitty. Good morning, Mike. Top of the morning there, Bob. And to you as well, sir. Is your uh, uh, Shades of Green open for business today? Absolutely. We're our regular hours um, for the foreseeable future will be Sundays will be ten to four like always. Monday through Saturday will be nine to four. And uh so we've shortened the weekdays by an hour. 
We are declared an essential business by the mayor, which allows us to stay open. But if we don't insist on the social distancing, they can shut us down. So we just ask everybody to be very conscious of that and work with us. But, yeah, we're here. And uh, I can't say doing business as usual, but doing business under the new normal, you might say. But we're here for you. Right, right. Um, we've got three Arizona ashes. They're uh, about... Uh, 12 feet tall, all three of them, two in the backyard, one in the front. Okay. Uh, Three-inch, three-and-a-half-inch circumference on one and three on the other one, and uh, the two in the back. Now, do, you mean, uh, do you mean circumference or diameter? Uh, circumference. Okay. Distance okay, around. so they're about, about an inch diameter. Uh, maybe a little bit more, actually. Okay, okay. Uh, but uh, both of the ones in the back. You know, and I thought I had planted them all the same. Uh, mm-hmm. The ones that are shooting up these uh, uh, stems from the very base, uh-huh. and uh, I'm trying to remember. You had suggested I try something, but uh, no good. You know, it seems like they're shooting up even more now <laughs> than before. Um, so, you know, short of uh, all of a sudden them miraculously quit doing this, I was thinking of well. I'll just trim all of them back except for maybe two, one on uh, you know on opposite sides of each other, and maybe get another tree growing out next to it or something that'll uh, be better down the road. So how does the how does the main portion of the tree look? How does that uh, you know that that original one, the center all of tree, of them, look? All of them look all of them look um, uh, wrinkly. Mm-hmm. But the foliage, how does the foliage look on them? Oh. Fantastic. Okay. And are you sure that the root flare is exposed? Oh, definitely. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. You know, I typically speaking, you you see all the shoots coming up uh, at the base when something is, you know, wrong below ground level. And Correct. The, and, and these are trees that you purchased at a nursery, I'm sure. Yes. Okay, what I would do, what a a good arborist would do, is actually expose maybe three temporarily expose three or four inches below that root flare. I mean, wash all the soil away, or if you have an air spade, blow all the soil away, because it is quite possible, and we hate we see this more often than you know you want to think about, but. The original person that started those trees out left them in a small container too long, allowed them to form girdling roots, and sometimes when you expose that next two or three inches down, you find a root that has, so to speak, wrapped around the trunk that's coming up and is gradually strangling the tree. This happened even to Howard Garrett, and he didn't know what was going on until the tree snapped off at ground level in a windstorm. So uh-huh. something is... something. Below ground level is happening with those trees that's keeping them from being a hundred percent happy and the only before I went to you know really extremes other than just cutting you know cutting off those low sprouts um i mean you're you're quite a capable guy you could go out there you know with a wire brush with your shovel or whatever and go right. ahead and expose down an extra three or four inches and see if you don't find girdling root or if you find something going on down there 
And uh, on bigger trees, I mean, you have to be careful. We've seen trees where it actually creates so much pressure with that trunk trying to grow inside of a girdling root that when you cut that girdling root, it pops away with some significant force. So that's, you know, that that is what we're down to. I don't know what would cause it other than something like that happening, you know, below the the level where you can see it. But like I say, that... Uh That that is not an uncommon situation. And a lot of times, a tree falls over or dies before people realize what's going on. Oh boy! Um, I went and built uh, the cement block, you know, circular uh-huh. container around it. You know, uh, it's uh, <laughs> it's about um, <clears throat> two and a half to three feet away from the, the center of the trunk. You don't think that would have affected it, do you? I would not think so, since you didn't feel anything around it. I I don't see how that would cause any problem at all. It may make it a little tougher for you to get down and do that exposure, but um can't oh, yeah. imagine why that would have been an issue. Yeah, but I got nothing but time on my hands nowadays. I don't know why. But, you know. <laughs> Lucky you! I I said that if I were ever forced to uh, quarantine at home or whatever, I would probably get caught up on my gardening for the first time in thirty years I or know. so. So, I know. tell me about. <laughs> okay, well, listen. Let me start. Check that out. Start digging around it, and uh, thank you very much. Uh, and hope all is well up there in your neck of the woods uh, down here. You know, it's not that bad yet, but. Uh, People don't learn. So they, keep, they keep getting, you know, close together in the stores and stuff like they're not supposed to. You know, it's just I I just shake my head sometimes and think, uh, uh, wonder about it. But then something else says, hey, maybe there's something Darwinian about this. Maybe we're going to take out some of the some of the unfit part of the gene pool. But I, I'm not going to go down that road. We I all do it, do it I, our best. I, I call it calling the herd. <laughs> I think I like that even better. Mike's always a pleasure, Winston, with you. You get out and have a good Sunday. Thank you, sir. Thank you. (laughs) Goodbye. All right. (laughs) Culling the herd. Yep. Well, we better not talk that way this time. Uh, But anyway, let's uh, let's talk to Kitty and see what Kitty's up to. Good morning, Kitty. Good morning, Bob. Good morning. The most horrible first time in my life experience with allergies this year and tell me about the oak tree cycle how often do the oak trees i have a live oak between me and my neighbor and it i've just been so hit hard by it this year you well, told us years ago with cedar fever you could make a tea with the leaves of the juniper you know and drink right. that anything like that is possible for oak leaves i don't i've never tried it with oak leaves but um, I'll tell you what I did, and you know, I went for most of my life without ever, without ever experiencing any problem whatsoever. And then a couple of years ago, the cedar started hitting me, and I went over to Rhonda's Nature's Way, and Rhonda makes something that she calls seasonal allergy formula. And mm-hmm. she said, open your mouth, and she squirted an eyedropper full of this liquid in there. She said, tell me how you feel in 15 minutes. 15 minutes later, my allergy symptoms were totally gone. And so that is where I would start. Um, The idea behind, you know, the cedar fever remedy, so to speak, is just you're you're getting your body used to the, you know, the antigens, the things that cause the reaction. We're trying to do that three to four months in advance. 
the problem, well, I guess with live oaks, you've got leaves and things there, so I guess you could try it. There's not going to be anything toxic about it. You might want to use some very strong flavoring agent, but um, you could, you know, back off about two, three months and, you know, make the same sort of tea well, out of some thing, oak leaves uh, and, and does- see... When in Texas, is it twice a year that the leaves come out and the and the yellow pollen piles up? Is that no. twice a year that it happens or no. just in spring? With the oaks, it's just in the spring. Oaks and elms are, are going to be spring only. The junipers are always going to be, you know, fall and winter. So we definitely have a very long allergy season, but uh, – and, and – you sound like this is really making you miserable, and in that case, it might be worth uh, going to, uh, and and who knows whether they're even doing it right now, but they will be soon. Uh, you can always go to a good dermatologist and do allergy testing, and they can tell you which pollens, what it is oh, that I you know. are most I, susceptible I, to. Yes, I've already got an appointment set up for May when things will calm yeah. down, but you can't get tested when you're taking medicine to keep you alive. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's exactly and right. On, on, thank you for that information. I wasn't sure if it's twice a year or once a year that the leaves fall and the pollen comes out with those little yellow, um, yep. what are those called? Well, that's they're, the thing that produces the pollen is called a catkin, C-A-T-K-I-N. Um, okay. In other plants, <laughs> we refer to it as a pollinia. And other, you know, there are a hundred different botanical okay. terms, which are well, nothing I just, but boring. I, it, I don't know what you call a pollen maker. <laughs> but yeah. uh, another question, please. On my Myers lemons last year, I had tons of flowers and one, one lemon on both of my bushes that are next to each other. This year, how do you self-pollinate? You mentioned pollinating them next year. How do you pollinate them? I, because I have bees all over the Texas uh-huh. native plants that are in the backyard, and the house is between the two. And not anything that I can see pollinating on my Myers lemons. There's maybe 60 blossoms on both of the bushes. Okay. Well, your favorite little yellow stuff there is uh, the pollen. Maybe you should put a mask on before you do oh, this I now. I outside with a mask now. I don't okay. leave the house without even emptying the garbage did me in yesterday without well, wearing my mask. So do uh, <laughs> uh, get, get, a, get a little paintbrush. You know, a little uh-huh. uh, almost an artist's paintbrush, but one of them right. that has, uh, you know, not a not a real hard bristle, but a fairly soft thing. And you just dust that around inside of the flower. Uh, lemons are what we call monoecious plants, which means that each flower has both male and female parts. Oh, okay. um, some some plants it's separate, male flowers, female flowers. Some plants are all male, and the other plant is all female. But uh, in this case, they're called monoecious, which means each flower contains uh, both male and female parts. Uh, you're just dusting your paintbrush around in there on all that yellow stuff, picking up the pollen. And then right in the center of the area where the pollen is produced, we call those little things anthers and then, uh, and then the, the pollinia out on the end of it, there will be the female part of the flower, which is called the stigma. And then you're just dusting around. You're just transferring the pollen over to this, what's called the stigmatic surface. Pollen grain germinates, grows down in, and that's how your fruit gets started. But uh, it's just a simple matter. Dust around the inside of the flowers with a little paintbrush, and uh, you will be moving the pollen around and go back and forth between the two plants so that you are, right. in effect, creating a cross-pollination. But uh, um, if lack of pollination is the problem, then you can sure take care of that, Kitty. And, you know, follow that up, of course, with good fertilizer and lots and lots of sunlight. But uh, 
uh, pollinating things is is really very easy and uh, you know just like I say just a little bushy you know quarter three eighths inch brush will do it for you. Got it. Thank you. Also on the orange on the lemon tree, I had a black powder. It's gone now. Uh-huh. Um, should I have sprayed that with BT or something or? or... Probably not BT. You probably had some aphids, either aphids or scale on there. Both of those insects leave a sugary excrement behind, and then you have a black mold, which, of course, produces lots of little spores, which oh, are going to no. irritate you. off easily with your fingers. Yeah. Okay. Right. And that's, that's just a mold growing on the excrement from what is usually aphids, and but like I say, occasionally scale. So a uh, little spinosad soap, anytime you see those, keep it away from the flowers because we don't want to hit the bees with it. But right, uh, right. Um, you, you won't have the black unless you have an, an insect issue. Okay. And f- uh, what kind of fertilizer for fruit trees or for lemon trees? Are these in a pot or in the ground? They're in the ground. I just any good organic granular fertilizer. Medina's Growing Green, Nature's Creations, uh, Premium Lawn Food, Meister Grows Texas Medina's Tea. liquid that you make, mix into a gallon liquid, is that okay? Okay, here's, here's the difference in the liquid and the granule. If you use the granules, you can put them on probably four times a year, five times a year, and that'll be, you know, all the tree needs. If you use the liquid, it is indeed a little faster acting, but if you're using the liquid, you ought to be using it about once a month. Okay. Thank you so much, Bob, and thank you. I'm so glad you guys are still open. Well, it's our pleasure to be so. And you give Rhonda a call. That seasonal allergy relief just was absolutely a miracle for me. And um, uh, it's, you know, it's a homeopathic thing. It it will not interfere with any other medication you're taking. So uh, um, for me, it it was a solution to my problem. Sounds like your problem is a little worse, but... uh, I would sure start with that and as a... Where is she on the north side off of Van on, uh, on the north side of town, uh, there's a shopping center. Let's see, it would be on the northeast corner of I-10 and Callahan. Okay. And um, Sprouts, uh, I don't know who told me Sprouts was closed. It's not. They're wide open over there. But there's a separate little building kind of a park across the parking lot from Sprouts. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, stop. Don't be trying to look at this while you're driving through the no. parking lot. But you'll see the sign for Rhonda's Nature's Way. She's there Monday through Saturday. And right. it was just, and I've recommended it to several friends who have had very good results. But tell her you want the seasonal allergy formula. Great. Thank you so much, Bob. God bless. You report okay. back to me, Kitty. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you. All right. It is a beautiful Sunday morning. Uh, A lot of people, a lot of you guys tell me you listen to me when you're driving down to the coast to go fishing. If you're driving down to the coast to go fishing, just turn around and come back home or actually go into the coast for just about any purpose because it's uh, my understanding that basically... Not only have the beaches been closed, but the entire Gulf of Mexico has been closed to fishing. It sounds a little crazy. I can see why you wouldn't want to be out on a party boat with a bunch of people. But hey, one guy in the stern, one guy in the bow. Uh, seems to me like you still better get pretty good social distancing. But anyway, just the memo I got from Parks and Wildlife said if you have a favorite fishing hole, you can make application to go out and uh and fish that one spot, give them the GPS coordinates, of course, but they still may be four to six weeks before they get back to and give you permission. So some of this stuff seems a little crazy to me, but again, I don't make the rules. I just try to abide by them. Looks like we're going to talk to John and Tim and Ann and Linda. John's next. Good morning, John. Good morning, Bob. 
Morning, sir. A beautiful day. It I certainly have a is. About a navel orange. Okay. Or maybe two or three questions about it. I have planted this tree in the ground about three years ago. It was I, I bought it several years before that, and it was in a planter, a pot. Uh huh. But I planted it in the ground three years ago. That first year, I had five oranges, I think. And out of the five, two made it to eatable fruit. Okay. Last year, it bloomed real well, looked beautiful, had lots of little sets on it, and I wound up with two oranges that didn't make it until harvest time. Okay. This year, I've got flowers, or I had flowers all over the tree. Uh-huh. And it's loaded with little bitty oranges. Now, I know the orange tree is going to drop whatever it thinks it can it can't handle. Right. But I have clusters of little oranges <laughs> and I'm tempted to go in there and and help it drop some of those because there's no way it can support that much. Yeah, but I think it probably time, I don't want to drop it off and then right. not have any oranges again. I would suggest that you do Yeah, I would suggest that you do what you're thinking about and that is thin the fruit out a little bit. Um, and you know, I, I basically wouldn't leave more than one orange to a cluster. And, um, again, I would just be careful how you do it. I would be fertilizing very regularly. I would be sure that you're getting, you know, really deep watering when you water. Here's, here's one of the problems with navel oranges is that they are not, of course, they're not as cold hardy as the satsumas and others. And they also tend to start blooming a little bit early. And because they're blooming early, they are going to be more susceptible if we should get late cool weather or even, you know, just really strong cold wind. Um, this is what's likely to make your navel orange more likely to drop its fruit than something that's a little bit more cold hardy, like a Satsuma, like a Kumquat, uh, perhaps like even a Myers lemon. Um, they just, uh, you know, they they can handle the cold a little bit better. Navel orange is one of our most cold-sensitive trees, so that probably has wow. something to do with uh, well, I can't change it. <laughs> it is yep. what it oh, is. Oh, I know. The bees know. have done their job very well this right. year, and it has little orange sets. I mean, if ever one of them, if half of them stopped, I'd have a pretty good load. Yep. And, like and what will at least more than two fruit? <laughs> oh man, I'm with you. I'd like to have two bushels of fruit off a navel orange, or, and be even better if it was a blood orange. But um, see, here's what here's what happens when the fruit when the flower gets pollinated, uh, the little fruit starts to form whether or not you have good pollination, whether or not you have cold weather that, you know, destroys the the inner working, right. so to speak, the reproductive parts. And this little thing grows up to the size of uh, maybe an English pea, and then something chemically inside of it senses that there is no seed developing in there. And, um, of course, navel oranges don't produce a lot of seed. They don't have seed. <laughs> right. Well, they 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 don't have the seeds that grow up, uh, you know, to right. be what we what we know as seeds. But um, if something in there tells the tells the fruit that hey, you know, no chance of any reproduction whatsoever, then many times the tree will abort the fruit. I think since the navel orange, like I say, doesn't make 
obvious seeds. I think if you keep it well fertilized, well watered, this has been the Mother Nature's cooperated pretty well as far as lack of freezing weather at critical times. So my suspicion is you're going to get a very good crop this year. Well, I would hope so. Some of the little pods are probably as big or maybe bigger than a pencil eraser. Uh-huh. Uh, and then there's, you know, anything from there all the way down to still some flowers on some of the leaves, um, in tips of limbs. Well, when so it I gets up to the... If there's anything I did, you know, because... Uh, yeah. When when it gets up to the size of a grape, then I'm going to start feeling really good. Pencil eraser is still a little tenuous, but yeah. uh, get some get some good liquid fertilizer. Whether it's Fox Farms, whether Medina has to grow is what I use a lot, but I also love this Medina New Medina fish fertilizer. Uh, be feeding that tree every couple of weeks. It's with organics. You're just never going to overdo it on nutrition, and uh, that's going to give you the and best that's shot. Of around the base, around the you know, covering basically yeah. the the tree line, the the drip line, or. Yeah, from the trunk, uh, maybe five feet out, uh, that's going to be your area where your liquid-absorbing roots as well as your nutrient-absorbing roots are and where you've got the greatest okay. concentration of the mycorrhizal fungi. So, uh, yeah, I would be oh, doing that, and I yeah. sure would love to hear back from you in a couple of weeks and see how things are doing. Well, I I do try to call in, uh, and I try to listen, and sometimes people, like the lady with the orange tr- uh, the lemon tree, earlier answer some of the questions <laughs> uh, i do have a a uh, haas avocado that i bought online that's supposed to be cold tolerant and it's doing great it has grown about six to eight inches since i put it in a pot okay. and set it outside on the south side of the house and well, I... uh, it's looking real good but you know i, I figured it was just a, a hit and miss thing well we <laughs> Yeah, we haven't had a cold winter in a while, and I was not aware of there of there being a cold hardy Haas avocado. It may be grafted on Mexican rootstock, which will help, but uh, we're just going to have to wait and see. You know, it's been several yeah. years since we had a really hard freeze. But uh, think about avocados. While they have a smooth bark, all of them are susceptible to cold damage. When that bark starts sure. getting rougher. Then we sure. can assume that it it's going to withstand at least light freezing weather. So uh, yeah. I think I'm going to be looking forward to visiting John's roadside fruit stand one of these days. Well, who knows? I, I, I try to do things that are kind of odd, I guess. <laughs> There's but, a fella. Uh, I, my, biz, my business partner and I both come into work very early in the morning to avoid that traffic, uh, which, unfortunately, is that's, that's the only good thing that's come out of all this is there's not much traffic. But we get out and walk a couple of miles before work every day, and we walk past an avocado in a fellow's yard not too far from the nursery, and that thing must have had 500, uh, maybe close to 1,000 avocados on it this past year. So. Uh, wow. And they, you know, they were they were relatively small. I'm not sure which one of the Mexican avocados looked kind of like Joey. But uh, I'm going to keep my fingers mm. crossed for you. You you may you may have all the guacamole you can manage in the in the years to come. So I'll look forward to hearing how that does for you. Well, it's kind of like garlic. You can't get, you either have too much or not enough. And in my case, <laughs> it's <usually> not enough. <laughs> it's good to talk to you always. Get out and have a good Sunday, and we'll talk again, John. Thank you. Sir. Thank you. Thank Bye you. Now. Bye. All right. Let's get back to gardening. And uh, I believe it's Tim's turn now. So good morning, Tim. Well, Bob, now you can switch to Timmy's roadside fruit stand. <laughs> I, have, <laughs> I have peach questions. I purchased okay. four John Panic peaches. All right, sir. Seven, excuse me. 
three of them are already in the ground. These are the 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 tall profile version, or maybe that's the only way those come. Where above uh, the graph, I don't know yeah, the term is, is a full six. Well, the the term is the term is high topped, and uh, you know we are all very frustrated because there's so few growers producing these things, and they're all making these high top trees, which is totally contrary to what most of us want to have in our gardens but you know anyway it will produce but uh produce plenty of good fruit but unfortunately you're going to be spending some time on a stepladder to pick it probably but john fanick's a good peach i've got one in my garden and it's very productive oh these are these are exactly the profile i wanted i mean they i okay. do want production of them but they're also decorative they're in a front yard in front of a 110 year old white wood frame house i mean it's just Oh, uh, I, I hope you've I hope you've got a good fence, or you may have uh, <laughs> you might have a, a an unintentional roadside produce stand, but uh, that's great. Yeah, right, so, right, right. Yeah. Um, the question is on the on the the water uh, protocol. Now, these were correctly planted. the 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 whole profile was right. I mean, I went back and watched that uh, that um, uh, Howard Garrett video from twenty five years ago. Um, <laughs> I swear that's Turtle Creek behind him. But anyway, it so is probably yeah. Yeah, they were planted correctly, and I can and I want to water by feel and not calendar, of course. And I can easily feel the top of the root ball. Give me the watering uh, lowdown on this. Well, you know, my my line is always that there's no such thing as too much water, but there's too often. So when you water, there's no such thing as too much. Put on however much water you think it takes to thoroughly saturate that root ball. My guess would probably be, you know, five to ten gallons, uh, but it might be, it will be more as the tree gets bigger. And then, as you say, just, you know, feel down when it's dry an inch deep, give it another thorough watering, and you should be in great okay. shape. Good deal. One other question. The four that I did not get installed because the world kind of went sideways on us there uh, several weeks ago. Um, I now am going to want to just put them in a holding pattern. What I would like to do is take those four and temporarily put them into one of my existing garden beds and just to, just to store them, just to get them out of the pots. Uh-huh. I mean, that's so, totally doable, right? I mean, um, it is. I will be honest with you. If I were doing that, I probably would dig my. So they're in what five gallon containers now, probably. Oh, the one that's about a foot across from the top. Yeah, that's going to be a five gallon container. Okay, okay. I would. I would dig a hole and I would. I would leave it in the container and sink it down in the ground. It's going to grow a limited number of roots out through the bottom of that plastic pot and in effect sort of establish itself but then when you get ready to put it in its permanent home uh, you're going to find it a lot easier to get out of the ground and you probably have to use some shears to cut that plastic pot away but um, knowing how things happen if you you know plant it in the ground and it's two or three years instead of next year when you get around to transplanting it those roots are going to be pretty widespread and you're going to, uh, you know, you're going to do a lot more damage in digging it and transplanting it. So I think about just, you know, sinking pot and all down into the ground. It's going to make it a whole lot easier for you when you want to get it out and put them in a permanent spot. Any any advantage to, because uh, I'm quite handy with tools. I'm, I mean, I'm a career mechanic. Um, any advantage to partially or totally cutting the bottom out of that pot? 
Um, I don't think I'd go quite that far if you want to put the appropriate bit and drill two or three more half-inch holes in the bottom. I think that would be yeah. a good thing, but I, I wouldn't go as far as cutting out the whole bottom of the pot. Yeah, I understand. Thank you so much, as always. You know, it's always a pleasure, Tim. Call me and let me know how it's coming along and what date the roadside fruit stand's going to open. I'll be your first customer. <laughs> I'll do it. Bye-bye. Okay, <laughs> sorry, Graham, I forgot to push a little button there. Welcome back to gardening here on a very beautiful Sunday morning. We're going to talk to Ann and Linda and Victor. Let me run through real quickly, just people I know are open and people that aren't. Uh, Rhonda's, of course, closed as they always close on Sunday. She will be open again in the morning. Wild Birds Unlimited is open. They have canceled their seminars. Uh, Stone and Soil Depot, they were open yesterday. I'm pretty sure they are open today. As far as nurseries, uh, Shades of Green is open. We do allow you into the nursery long as you socially distance yourself uh, and Rainbow Gardens both locations are the same way. Fanix is doing basically curbside but uh, we're doing our best to keep life as close to normal as possible. To the phone lines, Ann's turn next. Good morning Ann. Oh, good morning. Hi. Good. I live in the Boulevard area and I'm having wild blackberries starting to grow in my yard and i wonder sure. my husband says let them grow they'll die out and because they weren't here you know three or four years ago so right. are they going to go away or are they just going to keep going they're going to keep going. They're actually a dewberry rather than a blackberry. Blackberries tend to make very upright plants. The dewberries stay much closer to the ground. At this point, if they're like the ones around my ranch, my partner's ranch, they probably have white flowers all over uh -huh. them. And very shortly, you're going to have absolutely delicious it just almost makes me salivate thinking about it my grandfather used to make deep dish uh dewberry cobbler little fresh homemade ice cream on top of it there just was nothing better in my growing up world so they are going to be thorny they are going to uh just kind of spread out like a ground cover if you don't like them you need to get after them with a grub and hoe i guess you could always wait until you enjoy the berries but uh they are perennial they are native to the hill country and uh pretty much all the South Texas. So if you like them, leave them. If you don't, dig them up. Well, so they're going to continue to, uh, in, you know, infiltrate everything if I don't stop them, right? They're going to they're going to spread, but you can always control it with a grub and hoe or a shovel or something like that. So well, if last they're... Last time, I, I got the little berries off, and then I, I looked in my, um, you know, pot there, and there were like little, little um, moving insects or something so i threw them out I mean, well i you know just rinse them good maybe a little okay. hydrogen peroxide everything okay. out there loves the dewberries and okay. uh uh there but <laughs> i'm sorry that you that you wasted them but just a good rinse will get rid of any little uh beetles okay. or things that are in there and they are absolutely delicious okay i have one other thing i have a fig tree that i've had for like five years plus and i haven't ever gotten one lousy fig off of it is it out in the sun yeah okay figs like full sun and abundant water okay. and um don't be I'm pruning on them you're going to eliminate a lot of uh produce anytime you prune so i've never uh, touched it i've never yeah. touched it you, well I, that's unusual isn't it it certainly is. Again, I would give it, uh, I give it this spring and summer, water it, fertilize it, 
And if it doesn't produce, get rid of it. Wave a chainsaw at it. I find that that makes many things produce that haven't produced up to this point. To prune it? To go ahead and prune it? No, no, no. Just wave a chainsaw at it and tell it it's oh, going to well, get taken off at that. ground level. Okay. <laughs> a little, a little threat there. And, and I, I don't <laughs> know whether they, they somehow sense it or not, but I've had people tell me that for whatever reason, humorous as it is, that worked. But if you're okay. watering, fertilizing, if it's out in full sun, you ought to get some fruit this year. Okay. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. That's Bye-bye. always a pleasure, Ann. Thank you. Bye-bye. Goodbye. All right. I think we've got time for Linda here before the news break. Good morning, Linda. Hi, Linda. I'm here. Okay. Good morning. Good morning. I don't want to lose you. I've been waiting for forever. Uh, Bob, I have a Japanese maple in a pot. Okay. And one side of it is dead, gray, no leaves on it. The other side is green, gobs of leaves. What do I do with it? Do I, I would that give dead it part off? I would give it another two weeks. Japanese maples, at least ours, are really just now leafing off. I can't imagine what happened to one side of it. But in two weeks, if it hasn't formed leaves, those limbs probably are dead. I would go ahead and snip them out with your shears so that the tree can, you know, fill back in. And given some time, it certainly should regrow some limbs into that area if it's, uh, you know, if it's good and lots of sun. Okay. All right. Second question is, I have grapes. I have a really good, really pretty white or green grape vine, uh-huh. and I yeah. have two red grape vines. The green one, um, it, well, the other two are getting it too. They're uh, worms. They're attacked by worms, and last year I didn't. I got a little bit of grapes, not too many. They ate them all, and now the grapes are starting to, to come, but all these worms, I can squeeze some of them with my fingers, and others I have to get a stick because they're so big. What do yeah. I do? Uh, get some BT, Bacillus thuringiensis, sold under several different names. Mix it according to directions. In this case, I think the liquid is going to be better than the powdered form, which is called Dipel. Uh, but get some liquid BT, mix it according to directions, and then add about a teaspoon or two teaspoons of molasses per gallon of spray. Just spray over the whole area. It's harmless to you, but it's not harmless to the caterpillars. They take a bite out of a leaf or out of a grape that has it on there, and uh, that's the end of the caterpillar. It'll die a few hours later. Oh, wonderful. And then my final question is, I have an orchid. And it's not really, really big, but it was given to me by my granddaughter. But uh-huh. um, it's got three sets of leaves, but each time what the tops, uh, it gets a new leaf on top, a new set of leaves on the top, the bottom ones shrivel up. I did repot it with new medium, but maybe I used the wrong one. I thought I had bought the, the correct one at the store, but it just doesn't seem like it's getting enough um, moisture. Uh, okay, and and did you use the fur bark? Is it like a bark mixture that you potted into? I did. Okay, then that that is the right medium. Um, with the phalaenopsis, they don't have any water storage organs, so to speak. Oncidiums, cattleyas, many other kinds of orchids actually have a we call them pseudo bulbs that store the water, but phalaenopsis are monopodials that don't have the ability to do that. So um, 
you probably need to water a little more frequently. Have you seen uh, good new root growth since you since you repotted? Have you seen the little white roots with the green tips start coming out all around? Yes. Yes. Okay. Not, well, not that, not that many, but some. Okay, well, you're you're headed in the right direction. Feed frequently. I, in my greenhouse, and I grow a lot of phalaenopsis, uh, I probably feed every other watering. I happen to alternate between Medina's Hester-Grow plant and their new liquid fish product, but um, any good organic liquid fertilizer will make them real happy, but... Uh, Remember that you, you know, you can't water by the calendar. That phalaenopsis is going to need to be watered twice as often in the summer as it does in the winter, uh, with a good bark mix. Um, the good news is it's, uh, it's hard to, you know, to overwater them or to water them too frequently. Um, the bad news is that, that, you know, you certainly can, but, uh, a lot of times I just judge by the weight of the pot and whenever it starts feeling a little bit lighter, then I know it's time mm-hmm. to water again. I'm watering my phalaenopsis about every three to four days now. So oh be sure that gosh. you, how often are you watering? <laughs> I'm embarrassed to say, maybe a week and a half. <laughs> oh, you're letting them get way, 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 way too dry, but, yeah. They 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 are forgiving. I mean, if you're going to make a mistake, it's better to keep them too dry than too wet. But you need to step up your fertilizing and your watering, and uh, your plants are going to put on three new leaves for every old one they drop. Oh my gosh! Thank you so much. That's so good to hear. Thank you, Bob. Well, you call anytime. It's always a pleasure talking to you. Thank you. <laughs> Goodbye. All right, it's going to be Victor and Patty and Carla, and Victor's next. Good morning, Victor. Good morning, Bob. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. Beautiful morning out there this morning. It it sure is, and good time to start working. Bob, I have a couple of questions for you. Yes, Last sir. Last spring, early summer, we talked about the uh, aphids, and you talked about those assassin bugs that are right, right. on the uh, awesome cardboard. When is a good time to uh, put them out, and where can we get them? Well, the assassin bugs will show up naturally. Um, there are other things, um, I mean, you can buy lace wings, but I've never seen, assassin bugs don't really, I mean, they don't really ship well. There's not a, not a way to really buy them. But if you were going to buy a beneficial insect to go after, uh, after aphids, it would be what we call a lace wing. And, uh, they're a fascinating, fascinating thing. And, uh, most nurseries don't keep them in stock, but can probably order them for you. You may be able to go online and order uh, lace wings. But of the of the predatory insects, that's going to be the one that goes after the aphids uh, most frequently. Typically, and of course, praying mantis will do the same thing. And you can get praying mantis egg cases too. And a lot of nurseries do keep those in stock. But um, Typically, the beneficial insects show up on their own. You really don't have to, you know, be going out and going out and getting them. We find, oh, especially on things like the uh, Asclepias, the butterfly weed that we, you know, don't ever spray with anything. It gets those orange aphids on it, and a week later, man, the lace wings are showing up, the uh, assassin bugs are showing up. So typically, as long as you're not spraying, they'll come on their own. But uh, if you feel like you need to enhance them, look for either lacewing larvae or look for uh, praying mantis egg cases, and those would be two things you could put out. Great, great. One more question, Bob. Um, yes, sir. We were uh, putting some uh, plants in the pot, 
And I started digging out the old plant and putting the new plant in, and there was just all sorts of little bugs in there, looked like little ants and other sorts of little creatures. What can I do to get rid of them, or are they beneficial for the plant? (laughs) They're probably not beneficial, but they may not be real harmful either. Um, If you haven't put the new plant in there yet, I probably would make a very dilute orange oil solution, maybe a teaspoon or two of orange oil per gallon of water, and just flush the pot with that. And then once uh, once that soil's dried out a little bit, it'll be perfectly safe to plant into it. The other option, if the soil is really dry, you could put some uh, diatomaceous earth in there and mix it up. But for me... I probably would just use a very dilute, not concentrated, but very dilute orange oil solution. And, um, again, once it's, uh, uh, you know, you can, a few hours later, you can go ahead and plant into it with no problems whatsoever. Great, great. Okay, Bob, thank you very much, and you have a, uh, a good day. Thank you. You do the same, Victor. Always good to hear from you. Thank you, sir. All right, time to take another call before we take a break, and that would be Patty. Good morning, Patty. Good morning, Bob. Thanks for taking my call. Thanks for calling. I have a, an orange tree, and this this year I got a lot of oranges off of it. And then um, it seems like when we got that big rain, we got a lot of rain here recently, then my tree started dying, and the oranges started dropping. And now the tree looks completely dead. And I noticed yesterday that it has, like, all... Most of the branches around it are, like, evenly cut off. Do you know what might be going on here? Well, when a tree starts, you know, going down like that, it's almost always a matter of something is going after the root system of the tree. I mean, that's not at all normal. Um, Even, you know, if it were severe drought or something like that, the tree would kind of... I mean, it would drop some leaves, it would have a few limbs die, but it would still, you know, it would still have some life to it where where the whole tree just starts just falling apart. It could be if they just, if they stand in water, that will kill things because the water drives all the oxygen out of the soil and then the roots literally suffocate. I once saw a tree die where a natural gas leak and a gas line that ran right by it uh, started leaking, and natural gas just totally destroyed the root system on it. Um, but, you know, it, it doesn't make sense that the, that the limbs would be dying and then something would be cutting the limbs off because, you know, with the leaves gone, there's nothing there that's going to be attractive to any kind of creature. Right. So... Um, uh, you know, I'd, I'd have to say that they're just being broken off. Now, the other thing that can happen if a year ago, you know, you had a deer rub the bark off or a porcupine eat the bark off or if the tree was buried too deeply in the ground, uh, it finally, all that moist soil caused the bark to rot. That happens and then about a year later, the tree suddenly folds up and dies. So, it's it's hard to do a, a post mortem, so to speak, over the phone, but um, I can I can pretty much tell you for sure that something happened to the root system of that tree. But what I can't tell you is whether it was a result of having stood in water, whether a result of having something literally girdle the tree, which cut off the nutrient supply to the roots, and then the roots die when that happens. Can't really tell you 
what's happening there. But I think the loss of limbs is uh, so circumstantial, so to speak. But, uh, um, uh, you know, that's tough. Uh, and in, if this happened fairly suddenly after you got a lot of rain, you're, you're one of the few people that got a lot of rain. But if your soil drains poorly, if it stood in water, that could account for it? Mm-hmm. Well, it's kind of on a slope. I, my place is on a slope, and I'm in the sand. Uh-huh. But um, it's just strange how all those limbs are, like, evenly cut. So should I just leave it for another year and see what happens? Or I'd, I'd leave it for another three or four months. I would leave it for another mm-hmm. three or four months and see what happens. Um, the thing you can do if there's any life left in the tree, every time you walk by that tree, pick up your hose and just spray water up and down because like I say something's happened that has really messed up the root system of that tree and if it's alive while it's trying to recover it can absorb a lot of moisture directly through the bark sort of an IV for the tree so to speak and uh, I'd, I'd give it six or eight weeks if it hasn't you know started putting out new leaves by then I have to say you know there's not a whole lot of hope for it i'm pretty sure that you wouldn't have done it but if anybody's used any herbicide anybody used any weed and feed if anybody's Mm -hmm. used anything of that nature around it if anybody's mulched it with hay that was contaminated with picloram um, those are all things that that could also have uh, done a lot of damage to the root system yeah none of that now i do have a lot of i saw a lot of ants and i've done this before when i have a lot of ants around is they try to the ants will crawl up the tree and of course strip all the leaves so what i do then and i usually do it every year is i'll put canola oil around the base bottom of the tree so they can't crawl up so i don't know maybe would you think maybe it was the ants that have done something to the root system under there um it's possible but doubtful i don't think canola oil is a is a real good thing to have used i'm not sure that it would be that toxic but where you have problems with ants going up uh, the trunk of a tree the thing to do is to wrap around the trunk either a bit of aluminum foil or a little bit of plastic wrap or something and then there's a product you can get which is called Tanglefoot. You'll get it at a nursery, and it's it's like the it's, it it makes axle grease look like hand lotion. This stuff is so sticky, and you don't want to put it directly on the trunk of a tree, but you wrap the trunk either with uh, plastic wrap or with aluminum foil, and then you put a pretty you know an inch or two wide band of this stuff around it, and the ants absolutely cannot walk over it, and uh, that's the way you'll stop ants from ever getting up into a tree. Okay, well, I'll remember that next time, and I'll just wait and see what happens then. You keep me posted on how it does. I'll look forward to look forward to hopefully seeing some new growth come out on it, Patty. Right, yeah, because I've, I've had this since 2014, and it's always done fine. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's what I say. It's very unusual that it would have been a that much of a problem that quickly. So... Um, Let's, you know, and, and flush the soil around it very thoroughly. And sandy soil, um, I'm doubting that it's too much water, but let's flush all that canola, canola oil out and anything else because any, any of the oils can be a little hard on, on plants. So let's try to wash as much of that out as we possibly can. Okay, Bob. Thank you so much. 
keep me posted. Thank you. All right, back to gardening on this absolutely gorgeous Sunday morning. Sure hope you're sure hope you're getting out a bit. <laughs> I kind of agree with Howard Garrett what he was saying yesterday that uh, he's never seen so many dogs in his life with everybody out walking their pets. Uh, as long as you maintain that social distancing, man, there is nothing better than sunshine and fresh air to keep you safe and uh, a little bit better mental state too, shall we say? I know I'm I'm not a very good person if I have to stay cooped up for too long. So hope you out and enjoying this beautiful day we're going to talk to carla and robin and leslie and mark carla is up first good morning hi Uh, carla hi hi (laughs) i have a question for my dad that first i have to just ditto the get out in the sunshine and get some vitamin d and garden and thanks to you and everyone who's helping (laughs) get this going because this is the best way to prevent overflowing our medical system if people can just you know stay healthy or not get such a bad case well, of whatever like, they like get, i so. said we've we, we've modified the old state farm saying and nowadays it's uh, like a good neighbor stay over there <laughs> <That's good. laughs> so what's going on in your world today okay well my my dad and this is up uh, in kansas so it's a little bit north of here but i think okay. you may have an idea um, he has grown the copra onions for a long time, and the right. reason he likes them is that they store w- real well, and he basically yes, uh-huh. has produce all year from what he grows. So now what's happened is that they've been, they're a hybrid, and they've been placed, replaced by the Patterson onions, and the only place the copra are available is from a place called Dixondale that only sells commercially. So uh-huh. my question is whether you know of an alternative place that isn't being advertised or whether there's a, another onion that would be would also store as long or almost as long as the as the copra and still be, you know, it's a it's an ideal onion for his needs. Right. Um yeah, Dixondale is Dixondale's about the only onion producer in this part of the country. I'm surprised that there are not more up in his area and he's tried going online and still can't find him online i i think so i yeah i'm i'm pretty sure he um it seems like there's some kind of little monopoly or something like they bought up the like is that true if you have a hybrid that you can sort of control well it's um, uh the new one in any any unique any genetically unique plant you can patent it but i'm not aware of any patented onions out there but here here's the thing about storing onions the less sugar you have in the onion the less sweet the onion is the longer it will keep one of our favorite onions down here of course everybody knows about the texas super sweet sometimes called the 1015 to help people right. remember that if you're growing it from seed you plant it on the 15th of october that's where 1015 came from but um it's it's a delicious onion but it doesn't keep it keeps for three or four months period most of the white onions uh the vidalias and uh uh, most of the whites and a number of the purples that don't have as much sugar in the onion have a very good keeping quality. I find, um, and we, we buy onions from Dixondale, and we get uh, a, a mixed uh, 
thing. They actually do a bundle for people that don't have a lot of room where they mix some whites and purples and some of the super sweets together. And uh-huh. I find that my whites, you know, keep for probably nine or ten months. Uh, whereas I say, like my ten fifteens, I try to try to. <laughs> I have many people that want to have my onions, including Doctor Kirby and my business partner, and uh, so I don't have any problem going through them. But I would look at any of the good, fairly strong white onions. I would always go with. Uh, he may be able to grow from seed, or he may grow from transplants in Texas. Yeah, I've never had. Too. Yeah, I've never had any luck with the so-called sets, which are the little dried-up bulbs. But uh, I'm, yeah, I'm afraid copra is just an onion that I have not grown before. Um, What he might, or what you might do, one or the other, contact Dixondale, and they're they're reasonable people, and tell them, tell me the name of a retailer that uh, buys the copra onions from you and then contact that retailer and say hey i need you to ship some of these things to me i need you to put one bundle or three bundles or ten bundles however many he usually does uh i will pay you to take them down to fedex or wherever and uh or the ups store and uh and put them in a box and send them up to me and and dixondale should be able to tell you who they are selling to um it's it's not going to be practical because you know when we buy onions we have to buy a box of like 50 bundles and um but if if they're growing them obviously somebody's buying them if they'll tell you who that is and you contact them um i i most people unfortunately i can't say all but most people in the nursery business are nice people to work with and chances are they would happily you know, ship some of them to your dad. Is that oh, that would idea. be my plan? That okay. would be my plan. Okay, we'll try that. Thank you so much. Oh, and you're certainly welcome, stay Carla. Stay healthy. Okay. Everyone. You do the same. Thank okay. you. Stay on that sunshine. I will. Okay. All right. Okay. Well, next up is going to be Robin. Good morning, Robin. Good morning, Bob. I'm Good morning. Monarch, monarch caterpillars are all over my milkweed, and the hummingbirds are coming through, and I'm just happy, happy, happy. <laughs> you know, nature is just looking at us and saying, hey, you humans, you're just kind of a nuisance to my environment. I'm going to go on doing what I always do. And I haven't started seeing many uh, monarch caterpillars, but, man, I've got the monarchs moving through. I don't see big flights of them, but every afternoon when I drive up to my gate, I uh, hear three or four of them just floating through, just visiting every flower they see. So uh, uh, it's definitely spring i think we can say that you're just a little bit further north than we are so that's right happening very good anyway i have this passion flower vine and Uh some of the leaves have yellow spots all over them big yellow spots all over them do you have any idea about that (laughs) well this this sounds silly but um, everything around the nursery that we have that has yellow spots all over it is oak pollen. That uh, is there is there a live oak tree anywhere near you, passion vine? Yes, but it, this isn't pollen. It's it's in the leaf. You know, it's you can't rub it off. Well, and and the pollen is so fine. Have... Yeah, um, okay. the only possible no, thing it can. Okay, uh, it could be a fungus of some sort. 
Um, I, I, you know, looking at our passion vines, they've got new leaves coming out all over them here at the nursery, but they've also got, you know, fair sized yellow spots all over them. And it's just the, it's just the oaks that are just, and it kind of, it's almost like it stains them. I don't, I haven't tried washing it off, but you cannot brush it off. But if it, if it indeed is a fungus, I'd simply soak some Mm -hmm. cornmeal in water. Uh, for 24 hours okay. and then just use that to spray the foliage that should okay. totally stop it i mean passion vines are tough uh and uh is is this the incense variety is it the native variety you know which passion vine it is um boy i'd have to look it up i have it written okay down. i should look well, it down. incense yeah incense is the most common variety and then there's one that's uh Oh, kind of a maroon color called uh, Anne, Kristen Anne, or something like that. But uh, in any event, uh, feed them regularly. They should be growing like weeds now. I think this will be a very temporary problem on them, and I sure would expect them to outgrow it in a hurry, Robin. Okay, great news. Um, Second question is, I have a lemon uh, bush, and it has thorns on it. And my neighbor said, you don't have a bush, you have a tree, but it's growing like a bush. Well, it, your neighbor's, yeah, your, your neighbor's not well informed. Um, all lemons have some thorns. Uh, Myers lemon, there is a new variety out there called the thornless. It doesn't, doesn't have as many thorns, but typically your Meyer lemon will be pretty well armed with a little short thorn that's probably three quarters of an inch long. The rootstock that they are grafted onto has major hurt you thorns that are like two inches long and just absolutely, you know, destructive. <laughs> <laughs> you do not want to uh you don't know I don't want to deal with the thorns that are on the rootstock that most Myers lemons are grafted to but uh it makes no difference at all whether it's a tree or a bush it just uh it just depends on whether it's a thorned or thornless variety and 95% of them are thorned if it is these big old really really menacing thorns then i worry that your that your tree has grown up from the rootstock and it's not really the true Myers lemon anymore but uh I'll all, most all Myers lemons have thorns, and like I say, it makes no difference whether it's a tree or a bush. It's it's going to have them regardless of which it is. Okay, this is its third season. Um, I bought it tiny, and it's about three feet high now. Mm-hmm. And last year it had a lot of blossoms on it, but they all dropped off, and there were no lemons at all. So I don't I don't know. Should I feed it more? What what about uh, what about blossoms this year? It has blossoms this year. Okay, yeah. uh, they need Myers lemon needs pretty much full sun. Um, lack okay. of sunlight can reduce pollination, which of course is going to reduce lemon production. Um, poor yeah. pollination. Uh, they are so fragrant that usually if they're outside the bees are going to totally take care of pollination but if you're not seeing bees around them then you might want to get a little paintbrush and just you know take it and dust mm-hmm. around inside the flowers do the pollinating yourself but uh, if they're getting okay. full sun if you're watering them and feeding them properly um, you ought to start getting some lemons uh, you probably have oh, eight or ten lemons the first year they produce Within four or five years, you'll be getting a bushel of lemons off of it. I hope so. Okay. I do, too. So I do, too. But 
You you certainly do the same, but uh, do remember that that light is the most important thing. If you're if you're not getting adequate light, unfortunately, you're not going to get very good lemon production. So be sure you're getting plenty plenty of light to it. Okay, all right. Thank you so much. Okay. You're sure welcome, Bye. Robin. Thank you. <laughs> Goodbye. All right, we are back to gardening. <laughs> I'm just looking out back, and I see Dr. Kirby wandering around out there among all the plants and fountains. So uh, I, there definitely will be a pet show coming along here in, a, what, oh, maybe 20 minutes or so. Right now, we're going to talk to Leslie first, and then Mark, Karen, and Michael. Good morning, Leslie. How are you this Hi, Leslie. Morning? Oh, I'm great, thank you. How are you? Good morning. Well, um... I have a question about Philadelphia. I have okay. um, one that I don't remember if I bought it in the fall or if I bought it this spring, but anyway, it's one of the last things I have to plant out. Is this uh, something that I need to put in partial shade or sun? Full sun? Philadelphia's, yeah, here in Texas, I would put it full morning sun, but I give it a little protection from that 2 o'clock to 4 o'clock sun. Philadelphus, I wish it was grown more widely because it's the original mock orange with its highly, highly fragrant blooms, but it it's, would not be fond of July afternoon sun, but uh, full sun up to maybe 1 o'clock, I think it would be just perfect for it. Yeah, I just keep remembering the one that was out of the antique rose emporium. They had it on the side of the you know, of the house, it was huge, and it was beautiful, and right. bloomed, and, you know. Um, and oh, so fragrant. For, yes, sir. Uh-huh. And that's it for uh, that question. I also have um, one question about plums. I have a plum tree that still seems to be alive, but it has not bloomed, nor has it put out any leaves yet. The branches still have, you know, like green Underneath, the, underneath, when I scratch them, um, sure. I don't even, I'm just looking at it. It looks like a big old stick sticking up. <laughs> how how mature is this tree? How long has it been in the ground? It's only been in there probably hmm, maybe a year now. Okay. <laughs> you know, um, I, I bought it Fanex. Yeah, I suspect that at some point it's probably gotten a little dry. Uh, for the next two weeks... I would, every time you walk by it, pick up the hose or take a sprayer and just spray up and down the trunk and the limbs to be sure that it's fully hydrated because it doesn't have much of a root system started yet. I would perhaps water it in with some Super Thrive or some Garrett juice, um, and that's what I would do for the next two weeks. Two weeks from now, if it has not begun to leaf out and produce blooms, I'd take your pruning shears and I would go through limb by limb and cut it back about halfway. The, uh, uh-huh. uh, yeah, plums that, well, any, any tree that is really stressed, especially if it's gotten too dry over the winter or something like that, uh, sometimes they, they just don't leaf out. To get them to leaf out, they just, they just slowly sit there and eventually die. But when we cut them back, we concentrate the hormone that causes bud break is what we call call it, and uh, it sort of forces them to leaf out because it concentrates that that hormone that's just in low supply in the limb. So for the next two weeks, try just super hydrating it through the through the bark. If it hasn't started to leaf out in two weeks, 
cut it back by about just go limb by limb go through and just pair sharp pruning shears cut it back about halfway if anything will get it to come out that's what will do it okay all right i'll do that and well, report back to me i'd like to know how it does i'd like to know how it does okay, for you i will do i will do that okay i will do all right have a good day well you do the same let's say thank you goodbye all right let's uh talk to mark next good morning mark Good morning, sir. Good morning. Uh, I've got a peach tree about three years old, and last year I guess we had a, a hundred peaches on that tree. Wow! And when I opened them up, it was full of little white worms. Every one of yeah. them. Yeah. Yeah. And I didn't. They say you can eat them, but I passed that year. <laughs> so yeah. Uh, I've heard you could spray it with Dawn soap with uh, like a tablespoon to a gallon of water. Yeah, I, I'm i not big on spraying with soap. Uh, two things I would suggest. Uh, I Be sure you have a good heavy mulch around the base of the trees. I find that uh, with a heavy mulch, for whatever reason, I rarely ever have worms in the fruit. But uh, the second thing you can do, if you would like, is spray every couple of weeks through the period that the fruit is developing, not with Dawn soap, but I would get some of this product called Spinosad, S-P-I-N-O-S-A-D. It's a natural insecticide. Uh, It's derived actually from a soil bacteria. Don't just go spray it everywhere because it's damaging to all types of caterpillars and butterflies and a few other things. But um, if you spray every couple of weeks just to coat that developing fruit, it's a little moth-like thing. looks kind of like a wasp that comes in, and a lot of people will say it stings the fruit, but what it's doing is laying an egg into it, and then that's where those uh, worms come from. Uh, and we call this cover spraying, where we just go through every couple of weeks and spray to prevent it. Long term, I think increasing the mulch around the tree is going to really reduce the the problems with worms in the fruit. But in the meantime, uh, from the time the peaches are you know as big as a, somewhere between an English pea and a grape, start spraying every couple of weeks with some spinosad, and uh, I think you'll totally solve the problem and have a lot of good fruit to enjoy. And then just wash the fruit. Spinosad's harmless to you, but I would certainly, well, in any event, I would wash the fruit off. Absolutely. Where, where can I get spinosad? Any good nursery's going to have it. Any nursery, okay. Yeah, any, well, any good nursery, I'll put it that way. Uh, <laughs> you're going to find... Uh, you can buy it, and it's going to be under sometimes under a weird name. Since you're going to be doing regular sprayings, you're probably going to want to buy the concentrate rather than what we call the ready-to-use. And probably the most common name that it is sold under is Captain Jack's Dead Bug. Now, whoever comes up with these names, I think they need a little more time out in the sunshine. But anyway, you may buy it as Spinosad, but you may also see it under a name like Captain Jack's Dead Bug. But uh, it's all the same. It's uh, a very, it's a safe, natural insecticide. But just just keep it on the target organisms, and I think that'll give you a lot fewer worms and a lot better peaches. Okay. Thank you. Have a good day, sir. You do the same, Mark. Thank you, sir. And goodbye. All right, back to gardening, and uh, we're going to talk to Carolyn. Uh, I'm sorry, to Karen, and then to Michael. 
It'll practically be time for the pet show, which I'm always looking forward to. Uh, let's bring up Karen. Good morning, Karen. Good morning, Bob. Good morning. Good. Can you hear me okay? Uh, you're coming through loud and clear. How can I help today? Okay, good. Great. I was over at Shades of Green yesterday uh, picking up um, a couple of things so I could spend some time outside. And um, I was really impressed. <laughs> I was impressed with how well your people are doing social distancing. <laughs> we're we're trying, and uh, you, you probably heard me say earlier, our new line is, uh, like a good neighbor, stay over there. <laughs> and That's the exactly old State right. Farm thing. Yes. But, uh, yeah, we're doing our best. That's what we have to do to stay open. And I hope nobody gets offended. It just we We pride ourselves on being so so friendly and so up close and personal and just uh, life won't let us do that right now but uh sure over and i'm sure glad you enjoyed it well i did and um i was i was trying to make sure that i followed all the rules i forgot to ask a question yesterday <laughs> well got, it's um, totally safe over the telephone <laughs> <laughs> yeah right <laughs> i uh i have maggie the pointer and we have an issue with cats in the yard uh-huh. and it causing Maggie to um, to be a real nuisance because she's barking at these these wandering cats. I'm, I love kitties. I don't want to hurt them, but I really would like to know what can I do to make them stay out of my yard. I've, I've been reading that you can do all kinds of different things, um, you know, but I don't want to hurt the cats, but I just want them to go somewhere else. Do you have any suggestions? I... You know, as Dr. Kirby will tell you, what we know about psychology would fill a very small book. Um, yeah. The One of the best things is water. You know, just when you see them in the yard, turn the hose on them. And I think you can still buy, you may have to do this online. Years ago, we actually carried them in the nursery. But they make a something which is called a scarecrow. And what it is is a a sprinkler that you hook to the end of the hose, and when something walks through its beam, whether it's a cat or whether it's the mailman, unfortunately, this thing (laughs) spins around and shoots a very strong stream of water out. And people have used them a great deal in deterring deer, but it also works with kitty cats, and they they do not like being sprayed with water. And that will usually give at least some help. There are some repellents out there for some cats, something as simple as lavender. You can get essential oil of lavender at, you know, one of the one of the health food stores or somewhere. And you can, uh, I had one customer put it on cotton balls and just spread it around through the flower beds that the kitties were getting into, and it kept them out. There are actually a couple of spray products out there. There is a dog and cat repellent by the same people that make liquid fence. And so there are there are some repellents out there. Dr. Kirby talks about one which is called feel f-e-l feel away like feline away and you know spraying some of this around can sometimes work well to keep them out of the yard but every cat is different and the one thing they all have in common is they don't like being sprayed so um, that generally works well the different repellents different cats will react to them differently one thing and don't know that this is practical in your situation, but um, 
they do not like anything that's rough. And folks that have had a problem with the cats getting in and doing their business in flower beds and things like that, we find that putting out lava rock or lava sand, cats do not like to walk on it. And that, for that reason, they just stay out of the beds, and that stops being a problem. In your case, you're trying to keep them out of the whole yard. So if they're coming in for a specific purpose, in other words, if they're coming in because uh, uh, Karen's <laughs> – flower bed is the best the softest dirt around to go dig and do their things in sometimes putting a little lava rock or lava sand on the surface will make them stay away so those are all ideas i don't know which one of those will be most satisfactory to maggie and to you but uh those are different things that you might try okay because they're also getting under <clears throat> under our my garden shed and of uh-huh. course, that's where she wants to dig and get under, you know, and try to chase them off. So sure. if I put like essential lav- the lavender oil underneath there, right? Would that perhaps discourage them from getting underneath that building. Most cats, it most definitely would. Of course, the best thing to do is to uh, be sure there's nobody underneath there and then basically create some sort of block for them so they can't get in. But uh, cotton balls with lavender would be a real good start to. Uh, uh, to get them to go somewhere else. Okay. All right, super. Well, I appreciate that very much. Thank you. You get back with me and let me know what works. Hopefully something will work because uh, you're sure not the only problem, the only person that has this problem periodically. And uh love for you to share with us what works and what doesn't for you. Yeah. Well, I appreciate that because, you know, Maggie got um, that Bartonello, Bartonellosis. Or Bart- Bartonellosis. Fever, I don't know. If, yeah. Yeah. I don't know whether she got that from one of the neighborhood cats or what, because she's not exposed yeah. to a lot of things. So right. that would be reason <clears throat> for a health reason, too, to that, keep her safe. Yeah, I, you know, and the truth about cat scratch fever is it's, that's just, uh, um, I don't know where it picked up that name. It's certainly possible, but... I had a good friend that got uh, Bartonellosis from uh, getting cut as she was trying to open a metal can with a can opener. The truth is that it's one of those, uh, I believe it's bacterial, and, and the bacteria can be anywhere, mm-hmm. and anything that causes a wound, you can certainly pick it up. So hopefully it wasn't oh, from think. a kitty cat, but it's a, it's a nasty infection to get, so glad they got over it. Glad she got over it. Yeah. She did. She did. I appreciate that. Okay. Well, thank you so much for your help. I really appreciate it. Thank you, It's my pleasure. Thank you. Goodbye. All right. Let's finish the show up with Michael. Governor Michael. Hey, good morning, Bob. Thank you for coming into work. Well, it's uh, <laughs> I'd be in at work anyway, and uh, these days we have the pleasure of doing the show, and Dr. Kirby will walk in here in just a minute, but fun to be able to do a radio show from the nursery as well. Yes, sir. I, did, I had a question, Bob. I have a mountain laurel bush that uh, has these little, they're little red bugs on it. They're right. more of a spade style, and I was just, yeah. are they harmful? They don't really seem to be. We call them mountain laurel bugs, and that seems to be the principal thing they get on. They look sort of like a box elder bug, but I've never seen that they really cause any damage. If you want to get rid of them, a little spinosad spray would certainly take care of them. But uh, 
Um, they're not they're not damaging. The the principal pest we see on Mount Laurels are these little caterpillars that sometimes get on there, which indicates that the Mount Laurels under some sort of stress, usually from being too wet, and we control those with uh, with BT or something. But the the red bugs not usually an issue. If they become an issue, little spinosad spray will take care of them. Okay. Well, I know I talked to you about the caterpillars and about the. Uh, Bush being stressed last year, and I, you were, you gave me excellent guidance on that, and we got over that problem. And I was just these, uh, I don't want to hurt them if they're not doing any damage, so I'll just leave them no. alone. Yeah, they're just, in this case, we've gone from a problem to a nuisance. So uh, the other thing you do is just take the hose and just blast them off with a stream of water. Good news is that usually they're only around for four to six weeks and they're gone, and well, I tell you, I don't know about you, but four weeks sure goes by in a hurry for me. Uh, you, you don't feel like the Lone Ranger. You have a blessed <laughs> week, sir. You do the same, Michael. It's always a pleasure visiting with you. Thank you so much.